0: Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast, episode 191. It is Tuesday today, June 6th. We usually podcast on a Wednesday, but this time we push things forward today because, well, let's face it, OU is busy playing softball right now, and the WCWS people forgot to check with us about our busy podcasting schedule, which day would be best. So uh, anyway, Uh, Ryan Chapman is in Oklahoma City. He's at Hall of Fame Stadium. Getting ready for the Patty Gasso, what would you call it, Champ Series Media Day press conference. Uh, I'm John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. Later on in the show, segment three, we're going to be joined by our recruiting analyst, Randall Sweet. He's been out at uh, high school team camps. He's been out at spring football practices. He's been out at scrimmages. But really, Randall has, uh, has really been spending his time wisely at the Brent Venables Elite Camp where he has gotten to see just, I mean, I don't know how else to say it, a ton of interesting intel in the recruiting world. You're not going to want to miss that. But first, as we have the last couple of weeks, let's start with softball, Ryan.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, have they given us anything to talk about, John? I I don't Uh, know if if there's been anything that's gone on since we last reconvened. Yeah, not much. Um, 59-1, and the, the beat goes on.
0: The beat goes on. The beat goes on, right? I mean, 59-1. They have won 51 in a row now. I asked you, Ryan, is this team ever going to lose again? And I'm talking about next year as well. <laughs> it's a little silly, I know. But uh, they're in the championship series, which starts tomorrow night. It's going to be on ESPN. 7 o'clock local, I believe, here in Oklahoma City, against the Florida State Seminoles. Who else would you rather face in the championship series than Florida State?
1: Yeah, Oklahoma fans everywhere rejoicing, this is not happening in Miami, this is not happening in the Sunshine State, the Seminoles have to come to Oklahoma City, and it's been a fascinating World Series for Oklahoma so far, John, a couple of matchups with Stanford and star freshman Nigel Kennedy, uh, a romp over four-seeded Tennessee, who are much more talented than Stanford, as Stanford... Uh, much like their football team refuses to embrace modern offense in the softball world, but in any measure, any means. What you but say it doesn't matter. two tight ends into their batting lineup. Yeah, yeah, they pretty, they pretty much are just running uh, softball's version of uh, not quite a wing tee, but they're they're hefty on the tight ends. That offense, twenty-two but, personnel. Yeah, when when you've got Najee Kennedy and you've seen what she's done to this Oklahoma lineup two times through has given up four runs total in about, I think it's 10 innings of work. Uh, That's good enough to keep most teams in the game, but Oklahoma finds a way because they've got a star of their own in a much better pitcher, in Jordy Ball, who has different ways to attack. She's not given up a run yet in her first World Series appearances while healthy.
0: Yeah, 14 and two-thirds innings, Ryan, of scoreless pitching. Three, three, Three appearances, two starts and a relief. And she has not given up a run. And we're sitting here jinxing her. I'm sure everybody's like telling us to shut up, stop talking. No, it's a fact. Uh, her scoreless streak goes back to Clemson, eighteen and eighteen and the third innings, I think, where she it, she's facing the best of the best. Right? She's facing the best teams that softball has to offer. Has not given up a run in eighteen and the third innings, uh, two full games. No, three going on almost three full games for softball, seven innings, right? What's been, uh, what's been the key for Jordy? We got to talk to her last night after the game, and uh, I was a little bit surprised by the, uh, the lack of punch in her answer.
1: Well, I, I think Jordy Ball expects to do this, which is part of in that press conference setting, things like that. And I asked her on Thursday, hey, against Stanford in that opener, she had two runners on in the first inning, fourth inning, fifth inning, fired back, didn't look uncomfortable, and she's just like, those are the moments that are really fun, and and she thrives in those moments. It happened again against Stanford as she was working through this time as the away team, and especially as they got into extras, so any base runner, any hung pitch, one mistake, home run can end the game, and Patty Gasso said she was born, she said she literally came out of the womb like ready for these types of moments, and and I think that's just what you've seen that, that Jordy Ball is this massive competitor. You see it in the way she carries herself and in her strut and all that stuff. But also, here's the other thing she's got the speed, she can throw it by you, she's got the ability to place the ball anywhere she wants, she can attack all different planes, she's got different kinds of spin. Like, Canada is sensational, and she's one of the most polished, incredible freshman pitchers I've seen. But she has fastball, rise ball, change up. That's it. Jordy Ball can attack every area of the strike zone, which is I think what is even more difficult to prepare for her because for Canada, it's just can you A, time up with the fastball and B, be disciplined enough to not chase the rise ball. And Oklahoma's hitters, for the most part, were not able to do those two things.
0: Yeah, I think she said uh, she's been delivering since she was delivered from the womb, and uh, that's incredible. Uh, Geordie says that she just tries to simplify things and be in the moment. It's like, that's it. That's your secret. Really? I mean, I've tried that before and it doesn't work for me. I'm hardly an elite athlete. Right. Uh, but, uh, Patty, I thought the most interesting thing she said yesterday is this, this was one of those, like, I didn't see it in print. Maybe I missed it. I missed a couple of things. I'm sure. But it felt like at the time it felt like something really profound, but it didn't get a lot of traction when she said it. It was it was she said, you know, this team is special. They do special things, they're together, they're this, they're that. She said, But what we're gonna remember when we re, when we join back here and have a reunion in ten years is not all those run rules. It's, we're not going to remember all those run rules where we just beat somebody to, you know, beat somebody's brains out or whatever. That's that's me, not her. She said, the ones we're going to talk about are these ones out here. This 2 nothing and the 4-2 and, and surviving when it's 100 degrees down on the field. I thought that was really profound.
1: Yeah, I think the reason maybe it wasn't spread out a, a lot is because Patty Gasso said that multiple times over the last – Three years that I, that I've covered yeah. her is that, and this has been a issue is not the right word, but maybe a, a more of a conversation as Oklahoma has really kicked up the run rules post COVID twenty twenty ones mm-hmm. when this huge onslaught really came, and and that's what Patty Gasso is talking about that that when they get together, like you mentioned, there she's like we're going to talk about the the funny dugout moments that kept us grounded when the pressure was sky high and things like that, and. And I think when you pair that part, like an embracing of the moment with, it's not just an embrace, but she's also talked a lot about how this team doesn't have a fear of losing. They don't want to lose. They understand that losing is part of the game. They understand that failure is part of the game, but they don't have this fear of it, which makes it where they are now free to just go out and enjoy those moments and and try to perform. And it wasn't always perfect. We'll we'll get to it, but Tiari Jennings' day was far from perfect heading into uh, that ninth inning, right? But she she wasn't worried about it. It was calm, cool, collected, and she came up with a huge double that she's going to remember on her 21st birthday for a very long time, despite the fact that she was 0-4 for 4 coming into that last at-bat for her.
0: I need to know whose birthday is, is next. On this team, if there's any coming up over the next two or three days, because every time somebody has a birthday, something amazing happens.
1: Yeah, yeah. Patty and Tiara have had a, a pretty good week for birthdays, don't you think? Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what did she have? Four strikeouts yesterday. Uh, you know she just I'm had sure? two two yesterday, but if you if you blend the Thursday performance against Stanford and then yesterday's, it was four strikeouts total to Canada.
0: Yeah, and and 0 for four in yesterday's game before coming up in the ninth inning how about Grace Lyons though um that's a, a an absolute slump buster she I looked it up you know the there's a there's a page in their in their bio that tells you their season batting average after every game after every game their new batting average is posted over here to the right and I looked it up and she was at some point in late February I think batting 500 500. And that thing has dipped and dipped and dipped. And she has struggled in the postseason, got down to 323 yesterday. And then she comes up in the ninth inning and uh, just absolutely blasts a double to get it started. And, you know, I I take pictures for all Sooners uh, at the Women's College World Series. So I'm down there in the photo well and I'm following Grace because I I just I had a feeling that something big was going to happen. So I'm following Grace through the viewfinder, right? And I'm snapping photos and I'm snapping photos and I can tell obviously her ball, I'm not following the ball out here. I'm following her. So I'm looking through and I can tell something good has happened because her smile just takes And she's like, Oh, I finally got a hit. You, you could just tell it was like a weight off her shoulders.
1: Yeah. What a time for her first hit of the women's college world series of this year's women's college world series. But it's really interesting for Grace because uh, we we can dive into this a little bit more with looking at the bottom of the lineup, but while she is one for five at the Women's College World Series, she's still drawn three walks, so she's found ways to be on base. A couple of those walks came against Tennessee, so she she was helping contribute to that big onslaught, but yeah, you mentioned just calm, cool, collected, no moments too big for him. Grace Lyons is kind of that kind of player, right? She... This is not a negative. She's not the the fiery persona of Riley Boone or Jada Coleman or Alyssa Brito. She's just the 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 center. It feels like that she's centered and the team is centered around Grace Lyons. And so when she pops up and leads off and anything like that, that's how you just kind of look up and go, yeah, some runs are probably going to get plated here."
0: Yeah. Uh, am I right? The the last five OU home runs have been hit by Jennings, Coleman, and Kenzie Hansen? Uh, right? Certainly feels right. Yeah, because yeah, uh, I'm just saying somebody else at some point in this lineup, whether it's Haley Lee uh, or whoever, who Grace, whoever needs to hit a home run. It feels like there's a there's a there, I don't know like a restriction or some kind of tie down going on where it's like nobody can hit home runs except these three.
1: Yeah, well, and th- that's what is going to be scary for a Florida State that Oklahoma has. Breeze is not the right word, but I've ne- never felt truly like Oklahoma's going to lose at this Women's College World Series in any of these games. Alyssa Brito hasn't yesterday. delivered. Yes, yesterday, uh, now bottom of the seventh, two-one. Come on, Stanford can't score. Like seriously, they they scored three runs the entire or four runs the entire trip through the World Series. Like um, you, you have to score. Like two runs does not beat Oklahoma. Uh, They got two runs off of Kennedy both times. Um, But Brito hasn't delivered the power yet at the Women's College World Series. Hanson hasn't delivered the power yet at the Women's College World Series. Haley Lee hasn't delivered the power yet at the Women's College World Series. These are key cogs of the Oklahoma lineup, and they have scored, uh, them in Florida State, as you would expect, are the top two scoring offenses here at the Women's College World Series, uh, along with Tennessee. And the heart, like that middle of Oklahoma's lineup isn't even delivering the power right now.
0: Something I want to uh, go back to that you touched on, the bottom of Oklahoma's lineup, Ryan. Uh, you wrote a story about it today. Um, it, as you said in the headline, it sets them apart. It Their bottom of the lineup continues to produce base runners and runs and walks and emotion and momentum for the rest of the lineup. And you see it in other other teams, when they get to the bottom of the lineup or they, they turn it over and get to the top with nobody on base, it's a struggle for them to to continue that offensively. What makes Oklahoma so good at that?
1: Yeah, really, I was sifting through some of the box scores from all the games of the Lewis College World Series. In Tennessee's opener, a lot of their damage, that 10-5 win over Alabama came from the bottom three of their lineup. That's it, though. Everybody else, it's just been what you kind of expect. Whereas you look at Oklahoma, here's just the raw numbers who have, The bottom three, Torres, Lions, Boone, with one pinch hit appearance from Avery Hodge. They are nine for 21. They have scored seven of the 15 runs. Seven of the 15 runs that have crossed home plate have been the bottom three that are on base. Three walks, three RBIs through three games. That's your seven, eight, and nine hole hitter. And that's kind of, we talked about Jordy Ball, but. Frankly, Jordy Ball, for me, has been the best pitcher at the Owens College World Series, but there have been a lot of really good pitchers. Ashley Rogers at Tennessee was sensational when she was in the circle. Kat Sandercock is doing Cat Sandercock things. We talked about Canada. None of those teams have the bottom of this lineup, and that's why Jada Coleman said after that Stanford game one where it was an Alina Torres single and then a Riley Boone single, those were the two base runners for Jada Coleman for her to bring those two runs around. Riley... uh, Riley Boone, Jada Coleman said, is when she just starts getting excited and and pumping her fist and getting going, that that's what really sparks that momentum. And you saw in that first Stanford game, Boone, she lifts it. and I think she was going to left field and she it was pretty clear right off the bat it was going to drop in just a, a shallow single, nothing more to it. Before she even gets to the bag, she's jumping up and down, and you see her hair going everywhere before she's even safe at first for the single. Like, that's the kind of energy and juice that that lineup's brought, and that's why, like, Karen Weekly, Tennessee's head coach, was like, yeah, it's really tough to get momentum back against Oklahoma because it's great hitters at every single spot. It's not your typical 7-8-9 hole.
0: Yeah, she's right. You're right about that. Um, so they're playing Florida State for the national championship. Uh, Florida State, you know. Florida State's Florida State. They're one of the elite all-time programs in uh, in softball history. Tell us about the rematch, Ryan. Um, you mentioned Sandercock. I'm thinking she's probably going to get the start. I would think maybe both games, depending on how the first game goes. But you're talking about 7 o'clock tomorrow night, 6.30 the night after, and then game three. If there is a game 3 we'll be at 7 o'clock. All games will be on ESPN.
1: Yeah, it'll be Kat Sandercock and then the freshman McKenna Reed. Those are the two in the circle for Florida State. And Lonnie Alameda last night after uh, the win over Tennessee had talked about getting Kat Sandercock to buy into this staff approach. Basically trying to say, we want you to be as fresh as possible headed to Oklahoma City. We also need you to be able to bring along the freshman because it's got to be more than you. So those are the two that you're going to see in the circle the good news for Oklahoma is if you go back to the 2021 Women's College World Series, that was the champ Series, three games against Florida State there. There was a game earlier this year. So if you look at some of the T.R.E. Jennings, Jada Coleman, Grace Lyons, Kinsey Hansen, those players have all seen plenty of Cat Sandercock in person. So they kind of know what to expect. That doesn't mean that they're going to immediately have a ton of success. She's a really good pitcher, but that means that they're familiar with that matchup. Then McKenna Reed, the freshman, that that's kind of the new thing. And, and the good news for Oklahoma is because Florida State was the first team to really intentionally say we're going to pitch a bunch of pitchers and not really go all the way through the lineup. Oklahoma has had at-bats this year against pretty much every Florida State pitcher they should see in this series because there was that midweek game all the way back in March, a Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. It was 5-4. to four. Alex Storaco got the start for Oklahoma. She went four-ish innings, and then Jordy Ball came in. Uh, Katie Dack could hit the go-ahead home run. It was 4-3 to three Florida State in the fourth inning at Marita Hines Field. Then Haley Lee, Tiari Jennings, deliver immediately in the bottom of the fourth, and it was the Jordy Ball show from there. So th- this is a Florida State team that has power. They don't have the same kind of power that Tennessee brought to the table, but they've seen Jordy Ball a little bit this year. They also, for me, Florida State's lineup is a lot more balanced from top to bottom. Tennessee, once you get out of that first four kind of dips a little bit. Florida State, you're not going to have as much power as Tennessee, but it's much steadier top to bottom. And much like um, the Oklahoma teams of old, the the pre-2021 Oklahoma teams, Lonnie Alameda excellent with the hit and runs, playing small ball, all the plays on the card that Patty Gasso's talked about. I don't know if I can call that because if I get a runner thrown out, then we hit a home run. I turned a two-run shot into a solo bomb. Patty Gas was kind of iffy on that stuff. Lonnie Alameda is going to be aggressive, aggressive, aggressive on the base paths.
0: The boy, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be worth going to. It's gonna be worth buying a ticket to sit in the heat or the evening uh, sultry uh, storms that we're gonna have to face, Ryan. Uh, golly, storms literally every day. We had a we had a rain delay yesterday. Immediately after the game was over, it was like everybody has to leave the stadium. I mean, I guess that's what we're in for when you play in uh, games, softball games in June in Oklahoma City. It's just nothing new. So. Uh, Folks, Ryan has done an unbelievable job bringing you wall-to-wall coverage of that thing. Um, It's going to continue. He's there again today at the press conference. Uh, He's going to talk to Lonnie Almeida and uh, Patty Gasso. Obviously, he's going to be bringing you all the coverage leading up to the championship series. And then we'll have a full team there tomorrow night. I'll be there. Ross will be there. And, of course, Ryan will be there as well. And, uh, I'm fired up about it, Ryan. Uh, I want to do, uh, when we get back, I want to talk a little more softball and I want to ask you a question about TRA and Jada Coleman, uh, and how the, all they know and, and Nicole may as well, all they know in that class is winning national championships. Uh, I, I don't know if that's going to change this year or not. We'll see over the next three days. Uh, but that's, uh, that's a topic worth exploring. Um, So we'll have more softball when we come back. Plus, the SEC had its uh, spring business meetings last week. Commissioner Greg Sankey absolutely flexed on the rest of college football last week. Plus, uh, depending on where you stand with the eight-game schedule versus nine-game schedule in conference play, the Sooners either got some good news or some bad news. Again, that's depending on your perspective. That's all next on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. On Twitter, you can give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. Don't type the word underscore. Underscore is like the dash that goes under everything underscores. All underscore sooner. I'm at John E. Hoover. Ryan's in Underscore Ryan Chapman. You gotta type that underscore.
1: Do type uh, underscore when you're looking for me on Twitter, though. That for for all underscore Sooners, it's just the the uh, character. For mine, though, it's literally the word underscore Ryan Chapman. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Follow Ross over at
0: uh, Ross Lovelace, and Randall is at Randall Sweet, the number five. Follow him for all the latest recruiting news. We'll talk to Randall. Uh, in the third segment about his big week and weekend covering OU camp, I didn't even know you could cover that stuff. I, I knew people did it. I thought it was against the rules, Ryan. And I come to find out, it's like, we have no rules. If you want to come cover camp, come cover camp. I'm like, what? All these years I could have been covering camp. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Uh, our website is uh, allsooners.com. We are a fan nation affiliate, part of the sports illustrated network. Remember all Sooners is free. No memberships, no usernames, no passwords, no credit cards. All free at All Sooners. Um, Nicole May thought she was fantastic yesterday. I was, Ryan, I was a little worried for her that it was not going to go well. You know, you. she's had an unbelievable season, and she should be applauded for it. And I remember Patty at Media Day way back in February said, I think Nicole May is going to have her best season, and she has absolutely had her best season she's been amazing but when you get to the college world series and it's jordy ball Geordie ball Geordie ball and i don't know i'm i'm probably over analyzing this i'm reading too much into it i didn't see the usual body language in nicole being a um, you know she came in and pitched to, uh, i think the last inning of uh, of that third game or the second game i mean the uh, tennessee it's game that-
1: the last two batters and kind of that weird where Straco had two batters deal had one and then may yeah. had
0: two. So usually with Nicole may, you see a real kind of flat, even keeled demeanor, you know, nothing expressive in her face. but when she's in the dugout, she's doing a lot of dancing and singing and cheering and all this chanting and stuff. I didn't see a lot of that other stuff as all this attention was being put on Geordie ball, Geordie ball, Geordie ball. So I was a little worried that maybe her body language was down her. I don't know what the terminology is or the psychology, but I was thinking she needs to have a really good start here. She needs to get out of the gate, really strong first inning two run home run. And I just thought, I guess it's Geordie ball time. Patty Gasso thought differently.
1: Yeah, and she had talked about after the game, Patty and Jordy, because uh, that's who we got. Nicole May was in the post game. That the plan was for Nicole May to hopefully give Oklahoma five innings, and they were game planning for a seven inning ball game. So if, if Nicole May could give them five innings, keep the pitch count down on Jordy, then she can come in for the last two. That would be ideal. And th- that's been something that look it, the the criticism, I guess, of Nicole May the last two years, heading into this year, has been. She's great, but sometimes she issues a few extra walks or, or, or something like that, and she makes life a little bit more difficult. That way, you know, what should have been a two-out single turns into a one-out single and suddenly you got runners on first and third. She's pretty much eliminated that this year. Heading into yeah. yesterday, she had a better ERA than Jordy Ball and the identical whip, which is walks and hits per innings pitch. They are both at 0.83. So basically 0.8 walks or hits given up per inning which is why I I think that Patty Gasso was fine to say Stanford had three hard hit balls on Nicole May in the first inning. That was all it was. And then she immediately retired 13 straight batters. And I think that it became really easy for Patty Gasso to say, okay, it's just two runs. It's going to take more than two runs to beat Oklahoma. So she comes back out in the second and she retires the side in order. Then in the third, she retires the side. Like Nicole May gave Patty Gasso outside of making a change after the home run in the first inning. No reason to come and get her except for the second that Stanford beat that you know hitless streak, that 14th batter, and then Patty Gas immediately marched out and said, "Okay, we've hit that time in the game where we had predetermined I wanted to bring Jordy Ball in. It's Jordy time. Make that thing happen." So, um, really, if you look at Nicole May's career at the Women's College World Series, she's been excellent outside of one matchup, and she's gotten roughed up twice by UCLA. Stanford, it's not UCLA, and I think you saw one bad inning. Other than that, you'll take 13 straight retired every day and, and say thank you for gobbling up a ton of innings, and then Oklahoma closed with Jordy.
0: Yeah, she was terrific yesterday. Nicole was, and uh, and she has had her absolute best season. There's no doubt about it. She's a, a vital piece of this, uh, this puzzle as Oklahoma goes for its third national championship. She's in that class, Ryan, of juniors now who all they know in college, the only thing that's ever happened to them in college, is winning national championships. They've never had to end a season in tears or, oh, we lost, we got beat, we didn't finish our goal. The first two years in college, they win the national title. And I'm talking about Nicole, I'm talking about Jada Coleman, and I'm talking about TRI Jennings, obviously, uh, and whoever else is in that junior class, right? There's It's it's a special class. We're talking about some all-timers, Ryan, in, in those two batters especially. I'm talking about some all-timers, some – uh, J- uh, T.R.A. yesterday, for instance, set the uh, the Women's College World Series record for RBIs, career RBIs. Are you kidding me? And career doubles. Some of the best that have ever played the game are currently in the same class at OU right now. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and that was something that I was talking with somebody, I forget who it was, yesterday, that last year, T.R.A. Jennings set a, not a career record, but for one Women's College World Series, one event. She set the RBI record of that last year, which is why she is your career RBI leader at the Women's College World Series after uh, yesterday. But that was something that wasn't really talked about a ton because we were talking about Jocsonalo, we were talking about is this the greatest team you've ever seen, and how did Oklahoma just win a national title without Jordy Ball or all of that stuff? It's been incredible to see what Coleman and and Jennings and and you saw that one two punch yesterday created the huge dilemma for Jessica Alistair, Stanford's head coach, of do you walk Coleman to get to Jennings? And and I thought her answer after the game was pretty straightforward. It's that they like the righty-on-righty matchup, and so there's not a good answer of pitching to Coleman or pitching to Jennings. But the better answer for Stanford was that one of them was a right-handed batter, and they would rather get to that matchup, and it burned them. That made, like, just at face value, a lot of sense. But you you see that, and who, frankly – we can expand this thing a little bit too, ready? Those three have never had their season end in anything other than a national championship. But if you look to the class before them, Riley Boone, Kinsey Hansen, those two came in one year before. The only thing that has ever mm-hmm. happened to them other than winning a national championship is COVID ending their season, right? And so even those two haven't gone to the Women's College World Series, and had their season end in defeat on that field. Now, Oklahoma was not trending in that direction in 2020 before COVID killed that season. They were plagued with a ton of injuries, but it's kind of just a weird sense of that those five that are key pieces to this team have been through multiple runs with this Oklahoma team, and and when the NCAA tournament has happened, they've never crashed out of it.
0: Yeah, I can't wait, uh, Ryan. It's going to be fun to uh, get back to the stadium and cover that. Um, there's, I just sense so much tension in the air between OU and Florida State fans. Uh, yesterday, there was a there was an actual skirmish in the stands while I'm I'm relocating between innings. It was after uh, it was after the, the Stanford coach yelled at the umpire and got reprimanded uh, for the delay of Kenzie Hanson calling time in the, right before a pitch. Um, people got mad and I was like, I was walking from like one area of the photo section to another area. And I was on the concourse and I got shoved out of the way. I got shoved (laughs) out of the way by two people that wanted to fight each other. And there were cooler heads that were stepping in and saying, stop. And I was like, do I stand here and take pictures of this and possibly get blood all over me? Or do I go down to the photo well and get the hell out of here? So I got the hell out of here. You know
1: me, I'm a chicken. You uh, protect the glass. That's the important thing.
0: Protect the glass. Yes. I do not want any this is my camera. This camera does not belong to corporate it belongs to me. So, uh, no, I was just, I was the, I mean, they were, they had their fists doubled and they were pushing each other in the chest and they were going after each other. And I'm like, this is impressive. <laughs> These fans are angry enough about a softball game to fight each other. So, uh, I'm not calling for like fights in the stands, but when OU and Florida state get together. Ryan, I could see the same thing happening tomorrow. It gets intense down there.
1: No, absolutely, you're right, boss. And and here's the other thing too. If you have ever been to this event, you know, the the Thursday, Friday into the weekend, there's a ton of travel ball teams around. If you look into the the outfield bleachers, I liken it to looking at an M and M's bag or a Skittles bag. Because if the travel ball team if they're all green, then you see a whole row of green, and then two rows above them, there's a yellow team, and they've a whole row of yellow. That all leaves at the weekend, and when we get into Monday semifinals, there's a little bit of that spilled over. When you get into Wednesday, Thursday, and possibly Friday, the Champ series, there are two groups of people here. The friends and family of those players from Florida State and 12,000 Oklahoma fans. That's it. The travel ball teams are gone. Um, it's one of those things that the real advantage, the real fan environment does not fully take hold until the championship series. I, I remember John in 2021, these two teams met and before the game, you, we had the windows in the press box open and it was the first base side, all the Oklahoma fans yell boomer. Down the third base side, they reply with sooner, and it felt like a football game. That's what Patty Gasso had said. That it felt like when she's on the field before a football game, and you have both halves of the stadium going at it's not no longer the Sooners come out of the dugout and yell "Boomer" and two thousand fans around the stadium say "Sooner," and it's all you know. The left field starts a different time than the parents. Like that's not what happens. So that's going to get ratcheted up, and it'll be interesting to see how Florida State handles that, considering. A lot of those players have been there and done that in 2021 and actually won a game against Oklahoma in that champ series.
0: Yeah, that was 21 you were talking about. I remember that very well. I was I was impressed because there was uh, uh, Lauren Chamberlain and and all that group of former players on one side, and they were they would split up and they would go over to the other other side of the stadium, and so one side would start the cheer Boomer and the other side would start the cheer Sooner, and it was it was impressive, impressive coordination. And thundering volume. Let's talk some football, shall we? You mentioned football. Let's talk some football. Um, do we how do we how do we call how do we quantify Greg Sankey at this point? Is he the Sooner's future commissioner? I guess is still is what we're talking about, because he took a flex this week that was damn impressive. I could never see Bob Bowlesby or Dan Beebe or Kevin Weiberg or any of those guys flex like this. And that was, uh, it was pretty simple. You know, somebody was asking him about, hey, uh, you know, Commissioner Sankey, uh, if you guys go eight games, there's going to be a perception that uh, you guys are running from competition. Everybody else is playing nine-game conference schedules. The SEC's only playing eight. Everybody, you know, the SEC is going to maintain that uh, that November cupcake schedule stuff. Greg Sankey says, I think we ended that football season last year. With a 65-7 win in the national championship game, if the indictment somehow is going to be that we don't play the highest level of college football, somebody's not actually watching football games. Oh, my God. Greg Sankey just took a flamethrower to the rest of college football and the Big 12 and whoever else wants to complain about an eight-game conference schedule.
1: Yeah, I don't think Oklahoma needs to split hairs on future commissioner, current commissioner. I think that Greg Sankey, no matter who is talking about them, uh, simply just needs to refer to him as the college football godfather because that's yeah. what he's doing right now. He was uh, throwing shade at Kevin Warren last summer, and guess what? Kevin Warren's now with the Chicago Bears, <laughs> and now Sankey's just like, we'll do what we want. So, uh, yeah, Sankey with the big flex, and 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 frankly, too, I think the other thing is uh, the SEC is not running from competition, not embracing competition. I think that with the determination that they'll play 2024 with an eight-game conference schedule, they basically are maintaining the SEC games are worth X number of dollars, and if ESPN is not going to give us whatever that X number of dollars is, we are not going to cheapen our product by letting ESPN get an extra game without paying for it.
0: Right. Yeah, and they shouldn't. They. They've got ESPN's going to come around at some point and say, you know what, this this inventory that we're paying for, it would look a lot better if they were nine instead of eight. We would all make more money if we paid for nine instead of eight. That's what this boils down to: is uh, is how much ESPN is willing to pay. ESPN right now, the way I understand it, is saying, we've got the SEC. We've just paid a bunch of billion dollars to to do this. We're going to hang on to this product, and the SEC saying, okay, fine. If you're just paying for the status quo, then we'll give you the status quo. Eight conference games, which sucks for the rest of us who enjoy watching good college football. Am I right? Because nobody wants to watch those November cupcake games.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But it sounds like heading into these spring meetings that actually happen in June, we need to work on that, fam. Uh, Heading into these meetings... Ross Dellinger had been doing a lot of reporting, and we finally got a number. He got an anonymous SEC source to tell him $5 million a year per school is what that school was valuing the extra conference game. And with everything going on in ESPN right now, the really ugly business stuff, the layoffs and all that, guys just look back a couple of weeks ago when – ESPN announced a huge round of layoffs and then in the same breath said, and we're going to spend a ton of money on the Pat McAfee show, just how they got hammered, hammered, hammered. I don't think in 2024, like heading into this twenty four slate, ESPN's equipped to pay, if that is, $5 million more per school in one hand and on the other hand have another round of layoffs. So that's why Sankey and everyone's maintained that Just because they said eight conference games in 24, that doesn't necessarily mean eight conference games in 2025. doesn't mean eight in 2026. Uh, But when you look at it, I think it would make the most sense. The new college football playoff contract will come in after the 2026 playoff, right? Like we're going to have a couple years of this expanded playoff, and then technically it could change a little bit again. Um, I think the SEC would be wise to sit and see – Okay, are we sticking with the the top four conference champions get buys? Are we moving to just the top four teams get? But what else now? Like define what the next ten years of the sport are going to look like, and then you can go to ESPN and say eight or nine games. Give us the dollar figures.
0: That's a good point. Um, I think the eight game schedule the way the way Ross reported it, Ross Dellinger. Uh, reported it, is uh, they simply didn't have enough votes to to move to nine. And the reason they didn't have enough votes, and this is the part that agitates me, Ryan, is there are a bunch of coaches right now who have it written into their contract. If you make a bowl game, you'll get an extra extra amount of money. And there are a bunch of coaches right now who are saying, I need to make a bowl game. Whether it's a million dollar bonus or five hundred thousand, coaches are saying I need to make a bowl game, and the easiest way to make a bowl game is to play some rum dum in November, if you are in the SEC. Um, so you are trying to get to a bowl game. You are trying to get as many teams in your conference as possible to be bowl eligible. That's fair. That's what everybody would want. But what's going to what's going to be best for the conference? What's going to be best for all sixteen teams? Is it going to be 12 teams making a bowl game and a couple of teams down at the bottom winning that extra game and getting into a bowl game and getting that extra little bowl payout, that little bowl payout at the bottom of the bowl payout structure? Or what's going to be better, that or getting that fourth team or in some cases maybe a fifth team into your college football 12-team college football playoff and getting that money off the top of the bowl pile and the postseason uh payout that happens. You get that money off the top, you're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars that everybody gets to share. And oh, sorry about you, you didn't make a bowl game. You went five and seven. Sorry, but you still get, you know, eleven million dollars that you wouldn't have gotten before, or or whatever the total number is. How short sighted is that? I'm sure I'm oversimplifying things. There's there's other things at play. But that's just to me that's short sighted. We need more bowl eligible teams. We need more teams with six wins. That's bullcrap. Who cares about six wins? Get your – get. you want to win national championships? You're the SEC. Get as many teams into the SEC as you can by fortifying that conference schedule and losing that stupid, you know, FCS November game.
1: Yeah, as, as I sit here in Hall of Fame Stadium, Patty Gasso's words ring true in my brain of the best way to prepare for these big moments is to test yourself during the regular yeah. season. So I absolutely agree with that. Um, and for clarity, I want a nine game schedule. I wish we could see a nine game schedule, but I think part of the the flip side of that is if you want to talk about the top of the league, this is why I think it would make sense to wait until 2026 and see what happens because you could make the argument that if in 2026, they lock into the exact same playoff model where the top four conference champions get buys and nobody else does, then you could say, hey, the mighty SEC, we could have the top 10 teams in college football, and only one of them's going to get a bye. So why wouldn't we just say, play the eight-conference game schedule if we can't be rewarded for being better than the other three conference champions, mitigate and limit the variables for why a team might not make the college football playoff, right? And, And just say, hey... We're going to lean on the SEC schedule. We already get the respect, stuff like that. Then suddenly, if it becomes a free-for-all on the buys, maybe you want a nine-game schedule because you want Alabama and Georgia and LSU and Vanderbilt because suddenly they've risen from the ashes. If the, the only losses for those four programs are to each other, then you can easily make the thing of like nobody outside the SEC can beat us. Yes, Georgia has two losses on this schedule, but their losses are to Alabama and LSU, who are also two of the top four teams. Let's get us all these buys and all that stuff. Like, I, I could see the business side of that going both ways at the top, but I think we should simplify it and just be like, play the nine games like everybody else. That's what we want.
0: Yeah, apples to apples. Nine-game schedule to nine-game schedule. That's that's the way I want to see it. Um, the SEC doesn't need to be playing eight. And I know what Sankey said, holy cow, the score of that Georgia TCU game was obscene enough that we all know what he's talking about. Uh, the SEC is the SEC. The SEC champion is the SEC champion, right? Um, it's it's not anything that's people aren't going to run away from. Oh well, Georgia only played nine games, or Georgia Georgia was the only team to beat that team. They lost two games. They're going to be out. It's it's a tangled mess. It it could be a tangled mess. It doesn't have to be. Compare nine-game schedules to nine-game schedules. Speaking of nine-game schedules, Bob Bowlesby uh, and the Big 12 were one of the first teams to say, we're going to play a round-robin because that's the way it needs to be done. That really was their only option when it happened, Uh, Big 12 contraction. You remember that? Well, Big 12 is still, Ryan, still talking about expansion. (laughs) Brett Yormark had a press conference, uh, virtual press conference over the old Zoom Um, him and Lawrence Skubanek, the Texas tech chancellor, president, uh, had a little press conference and they talked about, Hey, we're not possibly for real forever done expanding. We could expand more. And he talked to, he actually got a question about Gonzaga being a basketball only member. And it was a, for instance, it was an example, but he said, absolutely. No, that's, that's something that's on the table. Um, expanding and adding basketball-only
1: members. Well, what is the point of conference expansion right now and the point of the Big 12 is trying to stabilize that money, like you just said? So if bringing in Gonzaga gets the Big 12 some sort of revenue stream and it doesn't dilute their football money, then sure, go for it. I also think no one should be shocked that – where is Brett Yormark from? Oh, Big East country. You, You remember that? Remember that conference? Is that conference still around, by the way? Oh, the basketball-only conference is dead. My fault. But um, UConn, another name that keeps getting, you know, moved around, Gonzaga. Shouldn't shock anyone that Brett Yormark might be trying to rechart the Big East. The important thing they have, though, is they do have football teams that are frisky and competitive to prop them up. But it feels like the Big 12 right now is playing a different game than – the, the SEC and the Big Ten, which is an understanding of we're never going to get viewed as the prime football conference, so we can have really, really good football still. We just had a team in the national championship game in TCU, right? Kansas State, uh, really good program under Kleiman. And then you add in and be the SEC of basketball as their way forward. That's a much more appealing pitch to any media partner than anything that the ACC or the Pac-12 is throwing at, because both of those conferences right now are just holding on for dear life, trying to keep their teams. No one's talking about the Big Twelve getting poached right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, Arizona, Arizona State are being tossed out there. Uh, there, there was a rumor last week that Colorado's rejoining the conference. It's like the fifth time that's happened, but uh, I'll I'll believe it when I see it on Colorado. Um, you mentioned you you use the word basketball as a Revenue stream. That's a perfect example of what basketball is. You, you make your money in football, and then you got this little revenue stream over here called basketball. Big 12 can do that. Big 12 Gonzaga can maybe bring something. And I'm not knocking Gonzaga at all. They don't have football. Fine. Whatever. Uh, they have the opportunity to possibly join the Big 12 and create a revenue stream for the, other, for the conference and the other schools. Brett Yormark is admittedly a basketball junkie. He loves hoops. He loves he he's he's created an initiative in Rucker Park for the Big Twelve. I mean, he is literally addicted to basketball. And he said he said the words. We know football drives the ship or drives the revenue or whatever. However, he phrased it. Um, I don't know, Ryan. Um, we just got done talking about Greg Sankey saying what sixty five sevens not not enough for you. To, to show how great we are at football, to, yeah, we might invite ba- uh, Gonzaga as a basketball school. That's a nice little revenue stream. That's Like you said, two different games. They're playing two different uh, conference, conference matchups. They're playing two different games, the Big 12 and the SEC.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, <clears throat> the Big 12 is all about right now acknowledging there's going to be a large revenue gap to the SEC – so how can you just get it as close as possible so that your institutions can try and, hey, Chris Kleiman, you're doing a great job. Maybe we can't pay you the $10 million that pick random bottom tier SEC school. Say Lane Kiffin decides to leave and Ole Miss wants Chris Kleiman and Ole Miss is like, we're going to throw $10 million a year at you. If Kansas State can just go to Chris Kleiman and say, okay, we can't match the 10, but you already have facilities you like here. You don't have to start from school from scratch you've got a a program that you've already sunk a lot of time into you've got the connections how much can we how close do we need to get for you to want to stay that's the game the big 12 is playing right now on the football front and and any extra revenue whether it be basketball or anything like that will help the big 12 try and just close that gap enough because they're not going to make the same amount of money but they don't necessarily have to they just have to make enough to keep their talent around to say you've already got something good here. How much is that worth to you as opposed to having to start over in a place you don't know?
0: Less than 13 months is when Oklahoma and Texas joined the SEC, Ryan, 13 months uh, and counting. Um, The Big 12, when you talk about revenue distribution, the Big 12 did say last week at its uh, spring business meetings that uh, they're distributing an all-time record $440 million to the 10 schools that were in the in the conference last year, 440 million divided by 10 is 44 million a piece. That's more than they've ever made. That's great. You're making more than you ever made year before it was 42.6. So they're incrementally creeping up a little bit. Uh, Bob Bowlesby said last year, COVID didn't hit us as hard as we thought it would. So they were able to mitigate some of those losses. Uh, The sec in February, they paid out 721.8 million which spread among 14 schools Ryan is 49.9 million so one school uh, one one conference is paying out 44 million to their schools the other one's paying out almost 50 and they're at a they're at a kind of a starting point like the Big 12 is adding four new schools that some say have diluted the product Big 12 is trying to expand to find other revenue streams meanwhile the SEC just signed a billion billion dollar deal with, with the ESPN and 49.9 million is going to quickly turn into 50, 60, 70 million. 80 million is what the projections are. I think I've seen 84.5 million. Um, five years from now, Ryan, are these going to even resemble each other? Are they going to look like the same thing, the Big 12 and the SEC?
1: No, no. If you look at um, the athletics, run a bunch of studies on this and or they've reported on a bunch of studies. I don't know who exactly it came from, but, but the projections are by like 2035, the SEC making over $100 million per year per school and the Big 12 making 50 or 60. So right now we're talking about, you know, five to 10 million before your third tier rights. In a decade, we could be talking about 30 to 40 million between before your third tier rights like that is what the the worry is and the big 10 they've got an even better deal they're actually going to make a little bit more than the sec but the big 10 and the sec right now is going to be the gap that's between the sec and uh, the big 12 like that gap today sec and big 12 is what the big 10 sec gap is going to look like in 10 years but it's going to be 10s and 20s and 30s of millions of dollars between the sec the big 10 and everybody else and that's why you've got acc schools saber rattling that's why usc and ucla looked around nope we're out that's why Oklahoma, texas said uh yes we will head to the southeastern conference it's gonna be a lot but like we haven't felt the effect of the budget differences and it won't happen to like a decade, but it was a position for the future. And that's what Joe Ciglione and Joe Harris talked about when Oklahoma to the SEC, that news broke.
0: Yeah. Good. Well said. Uh, One actual football note before we take it to break. And that is uh, Oklahoma has three on the ballot for the college football hall of fame this year, three Sooners on the ballot. And they, frankly, let's be honest, they could have five or six, at a program like this, uh, Josh Heupel, Rocky Kalmus, and Dewey Selman. My first question is, how the hell is Dewey Selman not in the College Football Hall of Fame already? Was he overlooked? Did somebody, Dewey, Dewey has been waiting in line a long time. Dewey needs to go in post-haste. Uh, Rocky Kalmus is a Hall of Famer. Josh Heupel is a Hall of Famer. If they're only going to do one, I say start with Dewey and uh, bring up the rear with uh, with those other guys next year.
1: Yeah, if you can only do one, let's just go chronological order, knock that thing out. But yep. yeah, all three, very deserving. And and uh, this is what is so cool about being able to cover a place like Oklahoma is you've got now the whatever the legislated, it has to be this number of years since your career wrapped and all that stuff that's coming around, it feels like now for. The start of this most recent era of Oklahoma football, we're getting the early Stoops teams finally in consideration, things like that, which means that over and over and over, you're, you're going to have your Roy Williamses that we've talked about. You're going to have in it soon your Adrian Petersons, your Sam Bradfords. We're going to work into those days soon, and uh, I guess that's a lot of trips between—is it what Atlanta, where the actual Hall of Fame is, and Las Vegas, where the inductions are happening?
0: Yeah, v- Vegas is where the uh, big party is. Imagine that. Um,
1: Adrian- I'll come the brick and mortar induction like site in Atlanta, and we can send you to Las Vegas for all the stuff. Yeah,
0: that's cool. Yeah, we could do that. Um, the The deal in Atlanta, I don't know if you've ever been, Ryan, is is amazing. The the actual Hall of Fame itself.
1: Oh yeah, you could uh, if you ever roll them through. I've been, I think, three times, and I wow. think I like the the people every single time. They're like. Hey, it's six p.m. You gotta go, buddy. And I'm just like, but I'm but all the new stuff you have on display. This was not here last year when I was here. Yeah, the
0: interactive stuff is uh, amazing. There's a every every Hall of Famer has an interactive um, display where you can go to you you push a button and then you scroll up yeah. and then you click on this and then you call up my guy from my university, East Central University, Brad Caleb is in the Hall of Fame, and they have little photos and videos playing on the screens of Brad Caleb from back in the 80s, and every one of them, every Hall of Famer has some kind of interactive display where you can call it up and look at it yourself. It's amazing. It's so cool, so check that out if you get a chance. If you're ever in Atlanta, it's right downtown. A little bit challenging to park sometimes in downtown Atlanta, but uh, it's worth the uh, it's worth the extra effort. And there's a ton of Sooners. I think there's something like 35 guys now. I can't remember what the number is. But there's 78 players on this uh, this year's ballot. Um, Hall of Fame members and, and National Football Foundation members are going to vote. And uh, my suspicion is that probably Josh Heupel will be the first of these three in because he's got name recognition. He's a head coach at Tennessee. Uh, he led the team to a national championship. Bob Stoops came out last year and said he was the most – the most powerful, uh, most vocal leader that he's ever had. So I get it, Hypel, but uh, Dewey Selman's been waiting a long time, and Dewey deserves it. So does Calvis, for that matter.
1: I've got a simple shorthand. Uh, When you played at the University of Oklahoma and they thought that your contributions were good enough to enshrine you in a literal statue outside the stadium at Oklahoma, (laughs) you should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah,
0: you think Adrian Peterson will ever get a uh, statue?
1: I don't know. Well, I think they're just going to run out of statue real estate because they oh. got to get to work on softball statues next. Because they a statue. They've got Patty Gasso. They've got players of the year that, that need statues. So there's there's a uh, a lot of job security in the statue uh, <laughs> the statue career path if you're around Norman, America.
0: That's what I should have been I should have been a sculptor God they' missed <laughs> my calling hey uh good stuff we'll wrap up real quick uh, baseball lost two times to East Carolina over the weekend it was not pretty Sooners finished the year 32 and 28 uh, to me Ryan a lot of inconsistent baseball but you get uh, 11 guys drafted off that college World Series team last year that was the most of any team in the country 11 dudes drafted off that CWS runner-up um, what can you really expect? but maybe inconsistency the next year. And that's kind of what Skip Johnson got. They got an NCAA bid. They won a game. They beat Army 10-1. to 1. That's good. Historic year. I mean, you swept Texas for the first time in, like, forever. That's the highlight for baseball.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you said it best. When you have that many guys head to the draft, there there's a got to be an adjustment on your expectations. And to get to the NCAA tournament, win a game, you're in a stacked regional Um I think that's fine. And I think if anything, it's a good thing that there is a small, small subset of the fan base that I think is a little disappointed with that because that means that Oklahoma baseball, there was legitimate growth in the fan base with that run to Omaha. You look at the crowds that they had all year long, especially for some of those big series. I think that you saw that that's a legitimate momentum. And, and I don't think they did anything to really kill that momentum. Sure a big run would have helped just capitalize and stack on top of it. But I just don't think that was something that was super realistic coming into the year with all the, the losses. And so to have that group, to get that experience with so many new faces, it's just a, a great way to say, Hey, you didn't lose that momentum from their trip to Omaha and, and skip Johnson can go and recruit off of that is they got one more year in the big 12 before they they head over to the sec, which just like we talked about, the football is is a different animal, and they're going to need the fan support like week in, week out. So those are going to be tough series every single weekend, but it'll prepare them for future NCAA tournaments.
0: Yep, you're right. Uh, good stuff, Ryan. Thanks for uh, sitting in these two segments. Don't forget to follow Ryan on Twitter and at All Sooners for uh, all the rest of the College World Series coverage from Oklahoma City. Appreciate it, man.
1: Yeah. Hey, next time we get together and talk on the podcast, June 14th, we're going to have to be on the lookout because that's when Greg Sankey said the SEC matchups for 2024 will be announced. So we won't have like a home and away schedule or like the order of everything or actually we may have home and away. But either way, we'll be able to discuss some theoretical hypothetical. How is Jack Arnold going to look in Death Valley? You tell me.
0: Hey, that reminds me, before we go to break, we talked about Army baseball. What about Army football? If OU's going to play four non-conference games in 2024, get Army back on the schedule. Joe C., I know you watch the All Sooners podcast, at least maybe not all of it, but maybe this segment you're watching. Get Army back on the schedule. I want to go to New York. I want to see a football game on the Hudson River.
1: Yeah, let's do that 100% because they got to – Four non-conference games, and right now Oklahoma doesn't have a Power 5 opponent on the books for 2024 as well. So that's something else to look at is got to add two non-conference games because they've got two on the book. I think it's Tulane and Temple, and uh, one of the adds has to be a Power 5 school. So maybe um, I haven't spent the time to look through all of it, but NC State, I know they've had their schedule bumped with BYU headed to the Big 12. So maybe like pick up an NC State to uh, play a one-off non-conference game.
0: I'm sure Oklahoma State would be willing to play a game, right? Don't they wanna continue the Bedlam series? Like oh, Am I have I mischaracterized that completely? Oh, it's possible. Uh we'll see. Play Bedlam one more time. Say it's the last bedlam and then say, yeah, oh, we gotta play Bedlam one more time.
1: That play would be awesome. Play it at like Taft Stadium too. Be like, hey, we have to <laughs> Somewhere in neutral site, Oklahoma City.
0: <laughs> uh, it would be great, Oklahoma City. Um where they play the the high school state championships at ucl
1: yes exactly that would be amazing that with would be amazing with the water feature behind uh <laughs> i forget which end zone that is and from the press box it's the end zone to the right i don't remember how which way the the field lays yeah that would be cool we'll cut you loose ryan thanks man we'll see you
0: coming up it's a huge week for the sooners in recruiting uh humongous week actually if you haven't been keeping up they got a couple of grad transfer commits from the transfer portal unexpected by some, but, uh, I guess the portal, if you're a grad transfer, the portal's always open and I get the feeling there's going to be a couple more. Uh, we'll tell you about it next. Plus all Sooners was out at the Brent Venables elite camp. Randall sweet is going to come back and tell you all about it. That's all next on the all Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman, or a car dealership in Oklahoma City, or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day, and the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners Podcast. Again, we really appreciate it if you guys could drop us a rating. Rating podcast if you like it. Hey, five-star rating. Those are awesome and they help. Uh, you can like us and share us on social media. And if you're watching on YouTube, leave us a comment, subscribe, like, all that stuff. We enjoy interacting with you guys. We want to hear from you on how we're doing. So let us know. Okay, segment three. Speaking of recruiting, uh, holy cow, Sooners have uh, added to the uh, defensive line lineup, the defensive line roster, I guess. And Randall Sweet is here to talk about it. He's had a super busy Last six or seven days of recruit covering recruiting. Um, funny question I got asked uh, by a contractor who was working at my house. I said, I got to go. I got to go talk to a recruit. He's thinking about going to OU. And the guy goes, oh, you recruit for OU? <laughs> uh, no, OU wouldn't let me anywhere near a recruit. I would probably commit 20 violations on the first day and uh, wouldn't be very good at it. But no, we cover recruiting. We don't recruit. We cover recruiting. Anyway, two big ones. Dijon Terry, Dijon Terry, said his name wrong right off the top. Dijon Terry and uh, Philip Paya, uh, holy cow, Randall! These these are two guys that uh, you don't expect to get in June, guys out of the transfer portal, and yet here we are.
2: Yeah, like you mentioned, big guys. Uh, you know, two guys that are going to really take up a lot of space in the middle, free up a lot of room for uh, players like Danny Stutzman whoever plays linebacker next to him to fly downhill. Hit the hole and make some uh, make some tackles in the backfield. Um, you know, we lo- uh, the Sooners lost multiple players at that position over the offseason. Uh, Jalen Redmond, very notably, um, and then I know Corey Roberson hit the transfer portal. They had some other guys leave. Uh, so getting two two guys that have played uh, you know Division one football for years that are veterans, they know what they're doing. Uh, it'll be really helpful for that interior defensive line group.
0: Yeah, there's been some talk that uh, somebody like a Jacob Lacy might have um, a, an issue that could prevent him from playing a full season, if not the entire season. Uh, so this is, to me, evidence that uh, that OU coaching staff is not pleased, not content, maybe is a better way of saying it, not content with the roster on the defensive line that they have coming out of spring. They want to add to it, and uh, they did so with a guy who played it Tennessee and Kansas in Terry. What can you tell me about him?
2: Yeah. um, So uh, he's a guy that coming out of high school didn't have the biggest offer list. Uh, That's how he ended up at Kansas. But uh, when he hit the transfer portal there, um, obviously a lot of teams were after him. You know, Tennessee uh, came calling and it's a pretty big power five school. Now, since he's hit the transfer portal at Tennessee, after spending two more years at Tennessee, uh, you know, he's got a lot of uh, interest and so I think there's was a big land for the Sooners. He had other power five, other SEC schools that were after him. Um, and so, you know, for OU, Todd Bates, Brent Venables, to be able to land a guy like that, um, it really shows that uh, not only are they having success, that they're still um, seen as very good recruiters, but also it brings in depth. Uh, if nothing else, it raises the competition level of that Oklahoma interior defensive line group. And um I believe Terry is like six foot four, three hundred and twenty pounds, and uh, the Sooners did not have many guys on their team who look like that. So uh, you know these guys who can push the pocket, who can really just manhandle guys in front of them—that's something that they need. And I'm sure Todd Bates is happy to see someone like that in uh, in the locker room now.
0: Yeah, Philip Pye is another big guy uh, in the middle. Um, he is uh, let's see, started his career at Michigan transferred yeah. to utah state was a pretty good player uh for sure at utah state what can you tell me about him
2: yeah he um kind of you know similar uh, similar mold of player big guy who can push the pocket free up space for uh for the linebackers to go just do their thing and hit people hard um he got hurt last year at utah state so he uh, missed the entire well not the entire season but most of the season i think he played three mm-hmm. games in those three games, though, he he knocked down a pass. He got an interception uh, for a guy who's 300 pounds. It's pretty impressive. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, putting some of that pressure on the interior of the line uh, on opposing quarterbacks is something that OU missed a lot last year, um, and not just last year, a lot over the past, you know, decade since, you know, Gerald McCoy was here, really. Um, so I think that grabbing him out of the transfer portal, he's a six-year player. Uh, you know, I know some people think that, that they don't have a, they they don't like the older college guys, but it uh, usually means a lot of experience um, and that they that they know what they're doing. They know how to lead a locker room. They know how to play the sport.
0: I'm not into NCA compliance and all that stuff, and what, who's eligible from the transfer portal and all that stuff. I don't know. There's a lot of gray area, a lot of nebulous rules that apply and don't apply, and that kind of thing. He's a 60-year player with, I'm told, two years of eligibility left. How the heck does that work?
2: Yeah, so um, part of that would be the COVID year that all these guys got, and then from what I understand, uh, the second year is from a medical red shirt. So uh, I think that comes off of that injury from last season. Maybe I don't, I don't yeah. know exactly, Honestly. but I believe, I believe that it's uh, one year for the injury and then one year for COVID in addition.
0: So. Three schools,
2: uh,
0: seven years. You got a red shirt, you got a COVID, and you got a medical, medical, medical I think, hardship.
2: Yeah. I think so.
0: What a journey! We got to yeah. talk to this guy. Yeah, <laughs> I want to know his
1: story.
2: <laughs> hey, he was out there actually at the uh, the Brent Venables camp already uh, in OU gear, helping out with the uh, the line group. So it seems like he's all in. Uh, I know the Sooners are, are happy to have him. I think he. I think he hit the portal in January. Um, so he, he's a guy that um, was there for, was in the portal for a while, knew that he, this was going to be something that he would be leaving Utah State. And uh, I guess for after almost six months now, OU to land his recruitment, it's probably a sigh of relief.
0: Yeah. You hope uh, a guy like that can come in and pr- contribute. You hope uh, Jacob Lacey can have a good year transferring and a Trace Ford coming from Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. They're getting some guys who have, uh, you know, been been damaged a little bit injury-wise that yeah. they hope can contribute, but they've got a lot of them. So maybe yeah. that's the thing is to limit the snaps, limit the reps, and get the most out of them that you can, maximize what you can. Let's talk about some of the uh, the other newcomers, Randall, that have uh, arrived. School, High school is finished. They graduated. They went to prom. They did all that stuff. Yeah. Now they're college football players. Uh, they played track. They played basketball, whatever it is. Maybe they played golf. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but high school's finished and now there are 12 newcomers on campus who arrived you know the, the summer uh, the summer intercession classes that you do when you're a college football player. You start in June. You start your college academic career in June. and so a lot of these guys are here. Uh, Dave McCulloch, the defensive back from uh, South Bend, who is obviously has his big brother on the team, transfer right? from Indiana. Yeah. Uh Cade McIntyre, tight end. I'm going to call him a tight end because that's what he told me he wants to play. And he said they're going to let him play tight end, but he could also play linebacker from Fremont, Nebraska. Talked to him last year when we were up in Omaha. So uh, can't wait to see what that kid can contribute. A powerlifting workout fiend.
2: He's a big just kid.
0: On the field somewhere uh, and contribute. Uh, Jaquez Petaway, Talked to him in Orlando. He can't wait uh met him in Orlando at the Under Armour All-American he's from Houston but talked to him when we were down in Orlando he ran track this spring and uh won some gold medals absolute burner um Taylor Wine out of uh, Nashville Brentwood I guess Tennessee uh, an edge rusher okay he's got long arms late recruit kind of to the class but uh, one of those guys that uh just like when you see him play you're like holy cow why doesn't he have an offer list from everybody uh, Logan Hallen, offensive lineman from Westfield, New Jersey. Sammy Omosigo, a linebacker from Heartland, Texas. Um, Jacoby Johnson out of Mustang, coming to Oklahoma as a defensive back. With the situation with Keon Brown and his eligibility, he Jacoby Johnson might get his wish of playing um, wide receiver. So we'll see about that. Now. Don't don't get it twisted. Don't think I'm mischaracterizing this. Jacoby Johnson would like to play wide receiver. Would like a shot to play wide receiver, but he's coming to Oklahoma to play DB. We'll see how it shakes out. Uh, Macari Vickers, cornerback out of Tallahassee, talked to him in Orlando as well. He can't wait to get going. Well, he's in Oklahoma now. He's at OU. They all the all these freshmen have reported. Uh, Lewis Carter from Tampa, Marcus linebacker, obviously Mar- Marcus Strong, defensive lineman from. Florida as well, Rayford, Florida, I think. Um, Heath Ozada from up in Seattle, offensive lineman, another guy that uh, signed or committed early and uh, has just been kind of waiting for his turn. Uh, and then Taylor Heim out of UConn, edge rusher, athlete. Who knows where he's going to play? When you've got those kind of skills, there's, uh, there's a lot of different things you can do. What do you think about this uh, class finally, the, the chosen 23 class, Randall, finally getting to campus?
2: yeah i think it's very exciting i think that there's a lot of guys who uh who could find ways uh maybe not this year but to contribute in the coming years uh very quickly um you know you mentioned some of these defensive backs jacoby johnson very very athletic you know good size um you know if if uh, the receiver thing works out for him i could see him getting on the field very early maybe not this year but you know quickly in the future and same thing at defensive back just with that size and athleticism i think He's a, he's a little bit of a taller defensive back, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I know that uh, I'm really excited, like you mentioned, for uh, Haim. Just as big and uh, as um, as well as he moves for someone as that size. Um, yeah, that that seems like something that uh, Coach Shavis could really uh, mold into a good player right there. Yeah,
0: Jacoby, if he, if it doesn't work out at defensive back, he could always play wide receiver. If it doesn't work out at wide receiver, he could always play basketball.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Porter Moser, you need basketball players. This kid can help you. So, uh, yeah, he OU is one of the few schools, I think, to offer him in both sports, and he told me several times, I want to play both sports. So hopefully that works out. It's going to be a challenge, and he knows it. We talked about that. What a, what a difficult, demanding – opportunity this is, but uh, physically, time-wise, emotionally to be invested for that long. You know, you don't get a break immediately after football's over. You transition into basketball. That would be a challenge. But uh, Jacoby, like you said, unbelievably athletic. I think he can do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Another guy, you know, Lewis Carter from Tampa. He's a fast linebacker. He loves to fly around and hit people. Kind of. Yeah, man. it, It really. Not not necessarily the exact same play style, but in the way that they're both from Florida, they're both fast linebackers who can fly around and hit people. Kind of reminds me of watching Danny Stutzman out of high school. Just a guy who uh, you know who takes no prisoners. He will fly down downhill through the gap and give you one of those remember me hits. Um, and you know we saw that at least I saw that a lot on Danny Stutzman's film whenever he was coming out of high school. Uh, you know he flew around the field, sideline to sideline. I think Lewis Carter, maybe not the exact same play style, but he does that a lot very well too.
0: There's some openings on this wide receiver core. I think Jaquez Petaway is a guy that can get in there immediately and play. I'm not saying he's going to catch 60 passes and go for 1,000 yards or anything like that, but he is going to make some plays. He's going to pop up somewhere, kind of like Freeman did last year, Gavin mm-hmm. Freeman. Like, whoa, who was that? What's, oh, that's Petaway. Yeah, he's gone. Touchdown. Um, he's got that kind of breakaway speed. He's got that kind of wiggle to him. Uh, I see him contributing in, in some measure, whether it's on kick returns or punt returns, or, or we'll see when he gets here. That's a little bit of a challenge because you've already got a line of guys doing that, uh, as we saw several times in spring practice. But just in terms of getting him the football and getting him in space, let him run, He's going to contribute in 2023.
2: Absolutely. It's not not often you find guys who were as successful in Texas high school track as he was that also play football.
0: Yeah. 10-4, I want to say.
2: Something crazy like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Maybe faster. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Sammy Elmosigal is a guy I want to see as well. Macari um, Vickers is a cornerback. I watched him in that All-American game.
2: Seatbelt Vickers. Boy, he's fearless. Yes. Physical for a defensive back.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I don't know too much about the offensive linemen, um, but I'm sure you know if Bill Biedenbow is recruiting you out of New Jersey and Seattle, he sees something that he likes. You you can believe that this isn't some local kid that they just threw a last-second scholarship to. They went to these far-off places and different sides of the continent and brought back a couple of offensive linemen. Bill Biedenbo sees something.
2: And OZEDA committed pretty early in the process, so he was someone who held an offer for a while. Howland, I believe, was a converted tight end. Is that correct?
0: I uh, can't remember.
2: Well, I I think so. I, he, if I'm remembering correctly, Howland's about six seven, and played tight end for uh, his high school. Um, Bill B, obviously, uh, you know, thinking of guys like Lane Johnson, has a a history of converting these guys.
0: Okay, let's um let's talk about the camp, Randall. Camp Randall. Yeah. That's your new name, by the way.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love it.
0: You love going to these camps, so I have dubbed you Camp Randall. Perfect. Uh, So kind of lay out what it looks like for your – I know it was your first time. I've never been to one of these, but uh, just kind of what the visual looks like, what the interactions are, uh, what's going on over here, what's going on over there. Um, Maybe it's fast-paced. Maybe it's loud. I don't know if they're playing music, but just kind of lay out what it looks like for us at these Brent Venables Elite Camps, day one and day two.
2: Yeah. So, you know, the first thing uh, you walk in um, to Everest Training Center, they're on campus. Uh, Doors are open. There's all these kids' parents are around, a lot of uh, high school trainers, um, personal trainers, things like that. Um, Like you said, uh, there is music playing. Um, They start every day with, you know, just some typical position lines where they're going through stretches. Some of the OU coaches and staff will come and You know, just give them a short talk at the beginning of the day. And then they'll really break off into their specific position groups. So with that, you have quarterbacks, receivers inside Everest Training Center uh, working on, you know, their own drills. Tight ends as well are in in there with them. You've got running backs and linebackers out um, on the track. uh, Well, on the football field that's inside the track. And then you have uh, offensive and defensive linemen out. um, I think it's the... The is the mini field outside of the stadium, uh, on Jenkins.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that's where the that's where those guys are working, and you've got position specific coaches working with all these guys. So wide receivers and defensive backs. You know, I'm watching Jay Valai coach up Malik Hawkins, Michael Hawkins' little brother, right there in front of me as they're working. Um, you know, I'm watching LV Bunkley Shelton and Emmett Jones coach up uh, uh, the receivers as they're working and things like that. Jeff Lebby and some of the other uh, coaching staff, Seth Luttrell, they're working with Mike Hawkins and uh, Kevin Sperry while they're throwing and things like that. So um, from that angle, it's really a good look for us. For for the media, it's a good look at, you know, we get to be really close to these guys and the coaches. We get to see how they interact with each other. For the players themselves, uh, if they already have an offer or are committed, it's a really good chance for them to build a relationship with the coaches, get some coaching from them um and if they don't have an offer it's a great opportunity for them to really put their name in front of these guys Uh, a lot of the kids there are already on ou's radar but it's really a good chance for them to show how coachable they are uh, and how they can compete and their body language all sorts of things like that that uh you wouldn't typically get watching from the sidelines
0: yeah uh, i've often said that the the best um view of things that we've gotten to have um So I've been doing this a long time. 04 is when I started covering OU and uh, I covered less Miles at Oklahoma State for a couple of years. And practices were open back then. And uh, at some point, Bob Stoops closed practices and closed scrimmages and didn't want any peering eyes and information getting out and things like that. And I totally get it. But when Brent, uh, you know, Lincoln was, of course, on lockdown. But when Brent opened things up to the media, you know, 40 minutes of open practice. You get to see guys, you get to see guys being coached. That was my favorite thing. You get to Mm -hmm. see guys interacting with their coaches, coaches yelling at them, maybe talking in a loud voice would be a better Mm -hmm. way to describe it. Right. Um, What they want them to do, what their expectations are. You really start to get a feel for, for how the team operates. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I'm talking at the base fundamental level. Okay. Not being around any practices for for the better part of the last 15 years before that, you you never really had a sense of, okay, how does this team function? Um, how do they interact with their coaches? How do they interact with each other? What How do the coaches interact? And so uh, being in that setting in spring practice and a little bit last fall uh, for training camp really kind of opened – uh, the doors and let in some fresh air and let people see what this program's about. But when you are able to do that on a level where you're talk- talking about recruits, you're talking about juniors in high school, sophomores in high school, I think that really shines a light as to how this program, uh, DNA-wise, how this program builds itself.
2: Yeah, And I think it really also shows how dedicated this coaching staff is. I mean, I'm watching, like I said, Jay Valai is coaching up Malik Hawkins. And that kid's not even committed to OU. But he's putting – he's taking the time to sit there, you know, to take him aside and say, like, hey, you know, this is where your hand placement needs to be. Your footwork needs to be like this. And I saw that all day with tons of kids who aren't committed to Oklahoma, uh, who might have offers but haven't decided yet. And, you know, there's nothing – assuring that these kids will end up in Norman, but the coaching staff is taking the time to coach them and treat them just like they are commits or like they are current players. Um, And it's also really nice to see a lot of those current players out there. You know, Jackson Arnold's out there every day. LV Mm -hmm. Bunkley Shelton's out there every day. Um, Billy Bowman's out there. I mean, to see these guys, uh, we mentioned Philip Paya earlier. To see these guys out there, it really shows that they care about the program and that they're bought in to helping better the program in general in any way they can.
0: And I think as camp counselors, to be fair and, and full disclosure, I think as camp counselors there, the coaching staff, uh, the program, eh, not the program, it's actually not related. It's disassociated technically from the program itself. Uh, I think the coaches are allowed to pay the players a stipend or a daily kind of a camp fee or whatever it is, instructor fee, to go out there and help. So it's a little way for the guys to make a little money on the side. And certainly the coaches – are able to supplement their income with all the uh, all the the kids that sign up and pay their tuition and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, campers, I'm talking about. So let's finish with this, Randall. Uh, a bunch of offers. I don't know if it was, we could call it a bunch, but there were a couple handfuls of offers made over the weekend uh, at the, from the Brent Venables camp. You you actually got to witness a couple, which is cool. Yeah. But uh, players interacting with coaches and the end result is, hey, I'd like to offer you a scholarship. Are you ready to come to Oklahoma or something like that? Kind of lay out for us, describe who you saw, what you saw and and, uh, what you learned about uh, OU um, recruiting some of these kids.
2: Yeah. So I'll start in the 2024 class because that's next up. Um, I think the only offer that they extended in that class, uh, I I think most of those offers are done going out for 2024 class. But the one that they did extend uh, was on Saturday, uh, Yvonne Carrion, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He is a six foot six wide receiver out of Odessa, Texas. Um, so down there in West Texas. He was actually he actually is currently committed to Texas Tech, um, but he was recruited to Texas Tech by current OU wide receivers coach, Emmett Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, and Carrion was taken into Brent Venable's office with his parents. He was offered a scholarship, um, and that was after he performed pretty well. In the morning session, I think um, I think the fact that he came to camp, even though he's committed to Texas Tech, really should tell OU fans something. Um, I think that he's got a really great relationship with Coach Jones. I think that the fact that he came five four or five hours all the way from Odessa to Norman, even though he's committed to another school, I think that really illustrates um, the relationship he has with Coach Jones. I don't think that his family, again, being committed to another school, would make that drive for no reason. I think that there's at least going to be some consideration there. Um, And when you look at his other offers, um, you know, Purdue, Texas State, Texas Tech, nothing against those schools, but they don't have the history that Oklahoma does. They don't have the history of wide receiver production, even in recent years, that Oklahoma does. Um, So I think when you can look and point to that, uh, that's a really good sign for OU. I know he's obviously...
0: I'll interject something real quick. Um, this might be a situation where the Emmett Jones likes him, wants to offer him and Brent Venables and Jeff Lebby say, invite him to camp. We want to see him with our own eyes.
2: Right. right. And if,
0: if we're impressed, then, then boom, you get to offer him. And I think that's, that's pretty commonplace. That's kind of probably what happened here.
2: Yeah. i 100% you're right. Um, I think that a lot of these kids that show up to camp, or well, I know that a lot of these kids get invited by the coaching staff themselves. And that is really with the goal of we want to see these kids with a closer look to see whether we think they deserve an offer. You know, we want to like, get the chance to coach them, see how they respond to us, things like that. And like you mentioned, uh, Ivan, he uh, in the morning session uh, in one on ones, he really, um, really performed well. Whether it was slant routes, comeback routes, post deep post routes, he was beating his defender. Um, you know, even at six foot six, he's able to get in and out of breaks and things like that, um, which is which is really impressive. Um, it's it's interesting. I I did some research, and there's not a huge history of wide receivers that are that tall. Most players that are that tall that catch passes are tight ends. Um, so it, it's interest, It's it'll be interesting to see how that looks um in a college football uniform but he's a four-star recruit uh in the 24-7 sports composite he's a top 200 player so they obviously have some faith in him Uh, he plays basketball he runs track so he's an athlete it's not not like he's just a big body he he definitely um there's some athleticism to him and i'm really intrigued really intrigued to see what happens there Uh, i think i think that he's already received a few crystal balls to ou since being offered so i think that um I think that, that that one looks good right now for OU, but it's definitely going to be some work for Emma Jones to flip him.
0: So uh, there were, I think, did you say half a dozen or so um, offers in all? I don't, We don't need to go through all of them, but anybody jump out? Anybody stand out like uh, this kid's probably most likely coming to Oklahoma?
2: Two. Two of them did, yeah. Um, okay. Chase Lofton uh, from Elkhorn, North Nebraska, and uh, Brock Boyd from South Lake Carroll. Now, Boyd is younger. He's going to be a 2026 recruit. So there's going to be um, a lot. It's a long road ahead to to, him, to get him. I'm assuming he's not going to commit anywhere for a while, you know. Uh, he's still got a lot of offers rolling in. Since being offered by OU, he's received offers from TCU, Nebraska. That's going to continue. He's going to pick up more offers. What position? He, he's a wide out, uh, six foot one, six foot two as an, a rising sophomore. And his hands and his route running ability are impeccable. Um, his dad is actually Southlake Carroll's wide receivers coach. Uh, wow. So that might, might be a, a little bit of a reason why, but he was beating everybody. I mean, there was a route where uh, Elijah Thomas, who's a four-star athlete, he's got Oklahoma, Alabama offers, and beat him down the field on a rep easily. So he was making plays all day. He caught our eye, um, and we were talking to him. And right, right in the middle of us talking to him, uh, Emmett Jones pulled him aside and gave him an offer. Um, and I, I don't want to go too much into that, but I can tell you that sure. his family was very, very, uh, moved by that. They, they were, they reacted very positively. They have a great relationship with coach Jones who actually recruited, um, Brock Boyd to Texas tech last year when coach Jones was at Texas tech, um, Boyd's older brother is a receiver at tech who was also recruited by coach Jones. Um, and they told me that a lot of their families from Ada, uh, Brock's oldest brother went to OU. He said grandparents and uncles go to OU. So um, that that one I know that really, really meant a lot for him. And uh, afterwards, he threw the horns down. So I think uh, I think that right now OU likes where they are with him. But there's a long way to go. They'll have to keep working that one. He's gonna get
0: offers. If you're from Ada, you're a serious football player. I know that by experience. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Uh, no, I'm from Ada in case you guys didn't know uh and then the the tight end you just mentioned tell me about him
2: yeah chase so um yeah chase lofton i uh if i were an OU fan, i would feel great about where this one looks right now um he told me that ou was his dream school and that was one of the reasons that he even decided to come down to camp in norman um so when your dream school is also the first school that offers you a scholarship that usually bodes pretty well um You know, just showing that they have that faith in you, that even though no one else has offered you, they believe in you. A lot with kids, that goes a long way. Um, He, like I said, he specifically told me that OU was a dream school for him, that it was a dream to get an offer. Um, As for his play on the field, he moves very, very well for someone who is six foot five and over 200 pounds. He gets in and out of breaks really well. He can drop his hips. He's fast for a guy who's that big. And most guys that big don't run routes the way he does. So that's a guy that I think that Emmett Jones and Joe John Finley really liked um, they, when they saw that. He's a hard worker. Uh, even after he got the offer, I remember watching him out there, you know, busting his butt, you know, working with the medicine ball against in one on one drills where they're not even catching passes and stuff like that. So hard worker um, seems like he uh, he's going to be one that they really try to recruit hard. He said he's already planning on coming back in July for a visit. Um, Football's in the blood. He's like I said, six foot five, over two hundred pounds as a rising junior. His brother is a tight end at Kansas State, also six foot five, over two hundred pounds. So they've got got some good uh, good genetics there, and um, seems like they they really like Oklahoma.
0: Today is June sixth, as we said at the top of the show. Uh, Ten days from now, it'll be Champion Barbecue.
2: Yeah.
0: Any momentum about that any leanings whisperings rumors uh innuendos about who's going who's not going and maybe why they're going or why they're not
2: Mm. well um the big name that's going to be there at the champion barbecue is obviously david stone um you know five-star defensive lineman from oklahoma originally now goes to uh, img academy in florida um he's got a lot of relationships still here in oklahoma um and so he's here for the summer i think it's been uh you know Said before, but for a guy who supposedly lives in Florida, he really enjoys coming back and spending time with the people here in Oklahoma. Um, apparently, he's got a pretty good relationship with some of the uh, the OU defensive coaches, um, which seems to be a recurring theme with a lot of guys. Um, so that would that's a big one for OU if they can if they can impress him. Um, you know, he's going to be a senior, so this this summer is going to be um, I don't want to say the last shot, but probably the last big uh, stretch that they get that every school gets to make an impression on David Stone. So if they can uh, do a good job of the champion barbecue, I think that'll go a long way. Additionally, some of his friends, like Michael Patterson, McDonald, some of the other guys who still play in this area, if OU was able to land them, I think that would go a long way for them because you know who doesn't want to play with these kids that they grew up with, right?
0: Yep. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, so what's next for you? You've got some seven-on-sevens coming up. You've got some more camps, more Venables camps, I guess, that uh, you might step into.
2: Yeah, so this this Thursday, I'm going to be at the uh, the Brent Venables camp. Uh, I know for a fact that Elijah Green and Michael Patterson McDonald will be there. So there's two names that I'm intrigued intrigued to watch. I think um, I think Elijah Green is a guy that if he performs well, there could get an offer. Um, I know he's talked to OU before, and he's got some other uh, Division One offers. But um, if he performs well in front of some of these other kids, then I, I could see him being extended an offer. Uh, and then the day after after the 8th, I'll be in Grapevine, Texas, to watch the uh, state qualifying tournament for 7-on-7. Seven seven. Uh, Southlake Carroll will be there. Allen will be there. Uh, the Frisco schools, Flower Mound schools. Um, so there'll be a lot of good competition. I think 24 teams total. So there'll be multiple OU offers. So I'm excited to get, get down there, get some video, talk to those kids.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, and you can find all of that and more – at allsooners.com. That's where Randall has been so busy posting all this great content. Uh, We've really ramped up our recruiting coverage uh, and Randall is 100% the reason why he's got a real passion for it. So uh, Randall, thanks for jumping on and uh, we'll see you somewhere down the recruiting trail very soon.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, John.
0: Absolutely. Hey, thank you guys for listening to the All Sooners podcast. We'll be back next week and you can catch that one as well as all of our shows on Apple Spot, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Podbean, that's our host. Just about anywhere you catch your podcast. If you have an Amazon enabled device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners Podcast. It's that easy. I did it the other day. My son was like, Did you have you ever tried that? And I said, You know what? I need to try it. I tried it, <laughs> and it popped right up. All Sooners Podcast on Alexa. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your and of course, all the videos of our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman and Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you next.